Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the Disciples Church Podcast. My name is Jonathan Mosier, and it's a privilege to be able to look at the Word of God with you today. These are strange times in all of our lives, and that certainly extends to the life of the church. Uh, As we've considered how to handle this season where we're unable to meet, the truth is that there are really no easy answers or solutions. Uh, We are certainly thankful for podcasts and social media and other forms of communication, but none of those things can reproduce the purpose uh, and benefits of the gathering of the church. There's just something about the gathering of God's people, greeting and praying, singing and learning, communing with one another that can't be replicated by any other means. And I think that we should actually feel the weight of that uh, so that when we gather again, we'll be all the more encouraged. Now, that being said, we certainly can't limit the purpose of the church to just the weekly gathering. So let me just encourage you to be faithful in this season with the opportunities that God has presented to us to love one another, uh, to care for one another and encourage one another, and to look forward to when we can worship together uh, once again. For the next five weeks, we're going to take a break from our study in the book of Mark and study the Psalms together. Psalms is incredible because it so vividly reflects our needs and experiences. It reveals to us the character of God, and it draws us into worship of him. More than any other book in the Bible, the Psalms address, expose, and reshape our emotions in light of who God is. They show us that no matter what changes in our lives, God remains the same. That his goodness and his grace are sufficient, that he is able to go with us into the darkest moments of our lives. And in seeing his faithfulness, our responses to life are changed. God's grace lifts us beyond our circumstances into worship, to exaltation, and ultimately to find joy in him. And that leads us today to our text, which is Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13 is a prayer of King David. And really, it's emblematic of the very heart of the Psalms. And so I'll read Psalm chapter 13 for you. You're welcome to read along if you like. But we'll start in verse 1, which says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, as we look at this text, we're not told what exactly David was experiencing. At other times in his life, we know that David ran for his life from Saul or that he was surrounded by enemies in battle. We know that the weight and the burden of being the king of Israel weighed heavily on him at times. In some circumstances, we're even told that sin was a cause of uh, of problem and, and difficulty and strife in his life. But in this case, we're not given any particular context. And I think in many ways, the lack of a specific context is really a gift to us. I mean, if we had a specific context, we might be tempted to say, well, that certainly doesn't apply to me. David's circumstances were entirely different than mine. And if I were David, I would not have been bothered by that. Or conversely, we might say, even David hasn't experienced my difficulty. 
He doesn't know what it's like to receive the the diagnosis that I recently received. He doesn't know what it's like to have family troubles like what I'm currently experiencing. But notice also that there's no indication that there had been any sin in his life. We're not told the particularities of what was going on. There's no confession like there was in Psalm 51. There was nothing like that. In other words, this seems to just be a difficult season in David's life. Things are not going as he'd expected. Life is painful for him. And since the context is open, what we're left with are David's words, thoughts, and feelings. And the intellectual, psychological, and emotional distress that David is experiencing is something that is common to every person that's alive. I once heard a pastor say, if you haven't yet experienced the anguish of David in your life, you will soon enough. The truth is, this was a rough season for David. He finds himself disappointed, depressed, and doubting. And look at the language that David uses in his prayer. Four different times he uses this phrase, how long. You can just hear the emotion in his voice. You can hear the exasperation. You can hear the the frustration, the anguish as he cries out to God. And how often have we felt the same way? How often have we asked the question, how long, O Lord? For some of us, we might feel this in very simple ways. You might have felt it this week being quarantined with your children or or, or dealing with some of the frustrations regarding your job. But for some of us, this is a much more acute, overwhelming sense where life has gotten very serious for you. And look at the specifics. Look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? In the Old Testament, one of the things that we see frequently is use of this idea of God's face. Throughout the Psalms, uh, we're, we're given pictures of God hiding his face from his people, that the light of his countenance has been removed. We think of the famous benediction in the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God's face is consistently a symbol of spiritual peace. It's symbolic of his presence with his people. And what David is experiencing in this moment is the exact opposite of that spiritual peace. He's experiencing utter turmoil and loneliness. And because of his experience, he feels like God has forgotten him. And he feels like he's alone, according to verse 2, with his thoughts and his heartache. David is speaking about spiritual and psychological isolation. And you also see David's struggles begin to compound. You can almost feel things start to spiral for him in verse 3 as he not only expresses his distress and his feelings of abandonment, but he also starts to compare himself to others. He says, my enemies, these people who deserve mistreatment and misery, the people who deserve judgment from God, somehow they're doing well. You can hear him saying to God, where is the fairness? I've loved you, God. I've served you. But here I am abandoned. And you can very easily imagine David beginning to spiral as he thought of more and more instances of pain or disappointment. But the truth is that David's feelings did not accurately represent the truth of his situation. 
I remember a few years ago, Jessica and I went to um, go on a vacation. Um, we arrived at the airport, and it was after several days of having rainy and dreary weather for several days in a row. And as we got onto the airplane, taxied out, and then began to ascend, um, something changed. Everything that we could see for a moment, from one moment to the next shifted. What had been gray skies and dark clouds broke as we went through the cloud layer, and all of a sudden you could see the sun. You could feel its warmth. Everything was illuminated. Now, obviously, the sun had been there all along, but my ability to see it was obscured. And David expresses a similar truth. He knows intellectually that God has not abandoned him, but he still felt abandoned. And what I love is that David in this moment did not hesitate to pour out that frustration and that sadness before the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is big enough and loving enough to hear your distress and your doubts even as they pertain to him? I mean, so often when we have doubts or when we have distress in our lives, We hesitate to bring those things before the Lord, especially if we have frustration with God in those particular moments. Why? Because we know better than to do that. Intellectually, we know the truth, but we don't see David hesitating the same way in this chapter. And consistently throughout scripture, what we see is people being honest before the Lord regarding their, their distress and their difficulties. One of my favorite stories from all of scripture comes from Mark chapter 9. And in that chapter, uh, a man uh, who is a father of a demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus for help. He goes to Jesus and says, look, my son has this demon. He can't speak properly. He's always gnashing his teeth. He's throwing himself into the fire. He's doing all of these things that are harmful to him, that are destructive to him, and frankly, things that are, are scaring me. And he asks Jesus for help. And as he asked Jesus, Jesus' response to him is this, all things are possible for those who believe. And Jesus in that moment is inviting this man to trust him, to believe in him, to have faith in what he can accomplish. And the man's response to Jesus Christ in that moment is so profound and so rich that it's something that I continually come back to. His response to Jesus is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He admits, even in his confession, that he, that he wants the help of Jesus Christ and that he desperately needs Jesus to interact in his circumstances. He admits in that very same moment his own unbelief. And upon hearing the man's admission, not by declaration of his superior faith, but rather by admission of his own weakness, Jesus then in turn heals the boy. Now here's why this is amazing. And this is what David knew. God is not looking for your perfection. He is looking for your dependence. Jesus' response in the moment to this man was not, how dare you come to me with unbelief or how dare you come to me with doubts? Come back when you're ready to believe. No, this man's true faith was revealed in admitting his need. This man was looking for help, not based on his own ability to believe or not built on the own sincerity of his faith, but built on the goodness of Jesus alone. And the reason that this is so beautiful is because stories like this are God's way of letting us know that it is okay to be frightened. It's okay even to have doubts and in those moments to come with your doubts before the Lord. But the caveat is that you can only experience this if you are willing to honestly admit your doubts 
and your need. And that's what David does next. Look at the honesty of his prayer in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He is experiencing a sorrow that left untended leads to death. Now, we don't know if he meant physical death or spiritual death, but what David is saying in this moment is, God, unless you intervene, I'm hopeless. See, there is that admission of need. He says, God, I can't do it. I want to move from this spot, but I need you to provide me with what I've been unable to attain. David, in his own way, is saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, how does he move from the despair of the first four verses to the hope of the last two? Well, notice where he addresses this admission. He says, O Lord, my God, in verse 3. See, prayer is what moves David from isolated introspection to relational reliance. And notice this, nothing in David's circumstances has changed. Whatever was bringing him difficulty was still hanging over his head, but the change came in his heart due to prayer. There was a reorientation that happened. There was a change in his affections and his focus. His focus moved from being internal to external, from introspection to dependence. And this is what the gospel provides. It provides freedom beyond our circumstances. And look then how this plays out. And notice the grammar here as well, because it's important. Look at verse 5. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now notice again what it says. I have trusted. That's past tense. In the past, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a future look. I will sing to the Lord. That's a future look again. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully bountifully with me in the past. See, what David is doing here is preaching to himself. He's looking back on the moments in his life when God's presence and peace had been obvious. He's reminding himself of the goodness that he had seen from God. And notice what's so beautiful about this prayer. What was it that he was trusting in? God's steadfast love. This wasn't David choosing to put his head down, put his nose to the grindstone and press on. This isn't stoicism. In fact, David doesn't even indicate in this text that he's even in a position to sing and worship. What he says instead is, I will. He's saying, I'll I'll get there. He had confidence that the God who had always been good to him would continue to be good to him even when he didn't feel it. And that honesty is so refreshing. David here isn't trying to force an emotional change. He's not painting on a smile and putting on a happy face. He is reminding himself rather to rest in what he knew to be true. See, so often we have a tendency to act out of guilt in our Christian walk. We feel bad for lacking faith or we feel bad for feeling down. So we try to muster up our emotions But what ultimately brought David through this dark night of the soul was seeing and savoring the steadfast love of God. It was looking outside of himself 
for the answer. And we are invited to do the exact same thing. See, on the cross, as Jesus was hanging there naked and ashamed, and nails through his hand, crown of thorns on his head, he cried out, much as David did here, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in doing so, in dying on the cross, in paying the penalty for our sin, he took away from us the sin and the brokenness that had kept us far from God. See, Jesus' prayer on the cross went unanswered so that your prayer to God could always be heard. And for us, it is in seeing the beauty of his sacrifice, the beauty of his steadfast love, that you are invited to preach that same message to your own soul in absolute confidence that the God who went to the ends of the earth to bring you salvation will also carry you through the darkest of days. As John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace and countless other songs once wrote, Tempest-tossed soul, be still. My promised grace receive. Tis Jesus speaks. I must, I will, I can, I do believe. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of honesty, humility, and faith that we find in this passage. We thank you that you invite us to come to you with our doubts and fears. And we thank you that when we witness the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, our hearts and minds are reoriented to praise and worship. So help us to cling to your promises and to trust your sovereign goodness, remembering your steadfast love in the moments where we feel it the least. Thanks for your grace on us and your love for us. And we'll be sure to give you all the honor and glory for what you do in our lives. Amen. The Lord bless you. Until we meet again.